0: so it's interesting seeing that shift from you know that whole pan-asian and now we're accepting ourselves as this whole asian pride because asia is now the
1: new wonder continent i guess welcome back kids even like this and we keep going on through the multiverse of cultural traits and sound and advertising we are still here in our imaginary studio, Jan Pavelchuk and Alina Danilova. Hey! And this time, we're moving eastbound to the frontier of the bravest ideas and their tireless creators. Uh, by the way, we got one of them today for some sophisticated giggles, and of course, to get better acquainted with what's going on in the marketing and rents in ASEAN. Say Nina Mohamed Noor, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. We caught up at last. It's very good to see you again. It's been a while. Thank you so much for coming.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Your personal experience in advertising industry, I think it's kind of overwhelming. Like you've done, I guess it's Around like eight thousand six hundred forty-five advertising agencies you worked in. No, eight thousand six hundred
0: and fifty. Uh, wow. Fifty.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Sorry. Is it a
0: real number, either? I mean, it, it, if it exists,
2: feels like it.
1: <laughs> no. 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 Really, it's been it. It's been a long path. How did it all happen?
0: Yeah. Well, I've been to just about every single uh, big agency in town. Um, you know, Gray, JWT, Leo Burnett, and Dentsu. DDB, DDB group and everything. But, um, yeah. So right now I'm currently, you know, had enough of it. Uh, took, I just decided to just go freelance. And then now uh, I've been with Ogilvy for a year. Haha. <laughs> 10 months to be precise.
1: I see you already quit Ogilvy in Malaysia.
0: No, I'm, I'm contracted with Ogilvy yes. right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It started with a three month contract. Ten months later, I'm still here.
1: <laughs> well, we Actually, our first episode uh, was starring a, a brilliant person from Ogilvy in Namibia. That was a really exciting experience because that was the very first time that we actually had a chat with, we actually had a public chat with an advertising site, I think that's going to be the right word for it. So we, uh, we're meeting a person from this for the second time. And f- actually, to talk on a similar, pretty similar topic on cultural traits and so on, there's quite a coincidence, I think. Don't you think so?
0: Well, technically, cultural <laughs> traits, I mean, you know, like I said, we're a whole different bunch of continents. You know, everybody's kind of, it's a different ballgame everywhere. Um, you know, no matter wherever in the world you're going to be. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, Asia's really... Interesting region because, especially Malaysia, because we're super diverse. So all our commercials are done in multi languages. You know, so so you have to to think about you know all the the, the cultural. I guess, uh, nuances and things like that. So it is a bit of a challenge in that sense because you're having to, to deal with the, all the different cultures and how would you appeal best to them.
2: Maybe we should uh, stop here for a little bit. Uh, maybe you can specify and uh, we can name all of the languages that you work with, actually. Okay,
0: in Malaysia, technically, when we advertise, it's actually done in, um, well, West Malaysia alone, the main language would be uh, Bahasa Malaysia, Malay. And then um, yeah. English, of course. And um, then occasionally there will be um, Tamil, which is Indian. The mm-hmm. South Indian language. But when you go to East Malaysia, it's a whole different ballgame because East Malaysia, it's like massive and it's uh, mostly tribal languages. So, you know, they yeah. all sound a bit different. The words are different. Even when you speak Malay in East Malaysia, it's a different twist altogether. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So within Malaysia alone, you have the Northern dialects, the Southern dialects, the Eastern dialects and stuff. So I guess the national language, Malay, yes, everybody speaks that, but when you go to the different regions, you'll hear different words, different expressions and stuff. So that was makes it really interesting and uh, quite a challenge, especially for creatives sometimes.
1: Can it be caused by like geographic specificities of uh, Malaysia? Like it's located on separate islands and say it's uh, due to being split by the sea. And so it's uh, it's complicated. Yeah,
0: but that's East Malaysia and then West Malaysia along the peninsula. Traditionally, we speak KL Malay is, is the national language Malay. But, you know, it's like when you go to America, and you go down south, people speak a little bit differently. The words are a little bit differently. But if you go up north, instead of saying like a soda pop, they'll say... Like, you know, soda can or something like that, you know? So I guess it's just having to understand and just being aware. I mean, like, if I went out east, east Malaysia, so north, dialect is so, you know, it's it's really thick that you don't really understand sometimes what they're saying. you just not. But otherwise, you know, we get by with traditional Malay and English, of course. And Chinese here also, there's many dialects. There's Hokkien, which is mainly spoken in the north. And then we have Cantonese, which is quite generally understood. And then there's also Mandarin, which is the main language that we use for advertising. So and when I write an ad, it has to be translated, but we don't want to translate it literally because you know we want to make sure that it hits the right uh, marks when you're, you're talking to, say, someone in Malay, someone in Chinese and stuff. And we also have to be very careful that certain things translate well, you know, and, and not mean something else in another language, for example. And, and that's tough. I'm working on a campaign right now where we came up with a positioning in English, but then we realized that that it's too it's it's a concept line, but when they wrote it in Malay, it was perfect. And now my struggle is trying to match that Malay perfection into English, which cannot be literally translated. So you have to find a different way wow. to do this, you know? So that makes it super challenging.
1: I started to learn Mandarin in my early child. I guess when I was when I was five or six and then I then I stopped and, and started again at the age of twelve or thirteen and I actually never finished my education in Chinese because I didn't have quite enough time. It's extremely complicated. But I still remember something, maybe just a little thing, but actually makes no good for me, really.
0: Yeah, but it's never too late. I mean, if you ever was say like right now what mandarin that you had when you go to China, you end up picking it up. Because the more you speak, the more you, you know, you get back into the vibe. So it's yeah. the same thing with me where I've learned other languages and then spoke it fluently and then because I haven't used it at all in the last, you know, ten years, now it's like I try it and, and get back into that that vibe so that you know I can improve it a little bit more. So so I make sure like say if the language is French and then what I do is like I hang out at this cafe where the owner's French his English is not very good. So then we end up, you know, speaking to each other in my little bit of French, but then it improves more and more uh, the more I, 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 I speak with the owner. So it helps. And we're teaching him a bit of Malay and stuff, so he's really enjoying it.
2: <laughs> and this fascinates me how not even just words can be translated and transcribed somehow, but even ideas. And I mean, for us, the main focus uh, all this uh, on a like music ideas
1: and oh. sound ideas in advertising so yeah I can be a bit wrong right here but sometimes I know that it's difficult it can be challenging to transform concepts from the Western model of uh, I don't know how Western model of understanding into Eastern model because sometimes the concept that you're trying to translate is might be considered as as a wrong one, or it might be just interpreted in, in in another way. Like for example, using Chinese sometimes, sometimes can it impose maybe some limits or restrictions? Well, it's the cultural it? sensitivities,
0: actually. Yeah,
1: so we have to be quite aware of things
0: like that. Like say for example-
1: uh, For example, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was shooting a commercial here in Malaysia, if I had to use a pet in the commercial, a pet would have to be a cat or a fish. We can't really feature dogs unless the ad is not targeted to Malays. So if I'm selling dog food, wow. it'll be in English or in Chinese, for example. Yeah. Because, you know, culturally dogs are not accepted in the Muslim culture. But then now I guess it's, it's, it's just the, the state of thinking the state of the world now with all the, the whole religious hypes and stuff. So everywhere you go, every, everybody's using religion as an excuse for everything. So here people were like, Initially, like, no, 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 we can't have dogs, you know, it's against the religion. But then now there's been a little bit more of a, people are opening up to it. You see more and more people owning dogs. But as advertisers, I'm not going to put in a million dollars for production only to be, have it taken off because it wasn't sensitive. So we have to tread very lightly sometimes here. and and be very careful with how we approach things. Do you
1: experience, as a spectator and as a participant of of these processes, do you experience or maybe do you expect a phase shift in it in the near future, maybe? Because, you know, things related to traditions are, tend to move onwards slightly uh, from decade to decade. I don't
0: know. Looking at the state of the world today, you know, it seems to be in a bit of a regression, you know, in many places. They say, for example, here, back in the, in the 1960s, women were a bit more free to not wear the hijab, for example. Nobody wore a hijab yeah. in the 60s. Nobody wore a hijab in the 70s. And then slowly it started coming in in, in the 80s. And now it's like, yeah. if you don't wear a hijab, they'll be like, oh, you know, maybe you should wear a hijab. So it doesn't mean wearing the hijab means that you're a good person or a bad person for that matter, but it, it makes a statement about yourself. So it's a bit of a regression now where, you know, like say, for example, women wearing certain sporting attires, for example, you know, like say uh, there was a huge hoo-ha about Our gymnastics team, for example, or they shouldn't be wearing all those tight leggings and stuff, things like that. So it's kind of regressed because back in the 70s and the 60s, you know, women wore the tightest clothes I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) You know, you watch the old movies. It's like, wow. And now it's like, you know, you'd be shot on sight, (laughs) you know, So, and it's not as bad as say Iran for that matter, but, but it's like, uh, you know, people are going to talk about you. You know, people are going to say something, you know, someone's going to say something. Uh, so it's kind of regressed in that sense, but what's evolved forward is that the fact that there's a a more personal sense of cultural identity. You know, if I say 20 years ago in advertising is like, you know, Pan-Asian models and talents were the most likely to be hired to do the ads because, you know, I guess using a Pan-Asian model, it makes the image a little bit better. It's used by someone who looks very international for that matter. Yeah. 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 yeah so now thanks to uh, one of my my ex-bosses, the late Yasmin Ahmad, she was the executive creative director at New Burnett Malaysia. She passed away some years ago, but she broke ground by bringing the real, yeah, the real Malaysian faces, you know? So, so not everybody has yeah. to be quote-unquote pretty or or skinny or things like that and and everybody spoke the way they spoke so nobody was you know like oh i have to speak perfect english but there was more emphasis on you know manglish malaysian english for that matter so that broke ground for a lot of things so now it's opened up a lot more for us as advertisers where we don't have to pretend we're western anymore
1: that's a nice point because that's a pretty common case for for many uh, participants of worldwide marketing, uh, trying to pretend that. Guys, we're also like to sound Western, look Western, and so on and so on. That's a pretty common thing. Yeah,
2: in terms of sound and in terms of picture, in terms of like concepts.
1: Yeah, we always not not really always. Quite often, from time to time, we're getting uh, said or told to do it in a Hollywood way, do it in a Nike way, do it in a, in, a, in another way. So it's just uh, referencing to the uh, results of the Western model of Western behavior model. Yeah, yep. it's funny. But then now with K-pop
0: being so big, it's a whole paradigm shift that we're moving more towards the East now. People are looking up to um, Korean artists. Japan has become like the sexiest country around. You know, it's like, it's the cool Asian vibe yeah. kind of thing. You know, so it's kind of a big flip. Whereas you see less and less of, um, you know, I want to be in an American, and, you know, kind of stuff where it's more of like, the japanese discipline and things like that so people kind of looking east a bit more now as well so it's interesting seeing that shift from you know that whole pan asian and now we're accepting ourselves as this whole asian pride because asia is now the new
1: wonder continent i guess
2: yeah definitely so it's, it's quite an interesting shift
1: is it good or is it good or is it challenging or is I it i think it's a great yeah. learning thing
0: because back when you know say 20 years ago for example everything was like very American, very British, very Western and stuff. Now you see this shift with India, Bollywood, Kollywood, everything's uh, uh become like, you know, famous globally, you know, like a Bollywood movie won an Oscar this year. Yeah. 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 So you're seeing all this in K-pop, BTS, you know, they're, they're being showed all over America, even South America's big with uh, K-pop and stuff like that. So, well, you know, it's, it's challenging because you're trying to keep up with, no one's normal anymore. No one's, like you say, like, I might get more uh, viewership putting a little K-pop spin to my ad, for example. Ten years ago, if I tried that, it never worked. You know, now you try to put that little American spin to it. No one's kind of buying it. It's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. But if you put the K-pop spin to it, everybody's like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. So that's really interesting how, you know, (laughs) things are going that way. Everybody wants to learn Korean now. Everybody wants to learn Japanese now. Yeah, forget about English, man. It's,
2: <laughs> yeah, I have a quick comment that I remember being in Kale and like uh, reading about the history of Malaysia. And uh, there was uh, the word merdeka or merdeka.
0: Yeah. Merdeka, and what you yeah.
2: says quite reminded me of that word in terms of focus on your own culture in like this marketing slash advertising world. I guess merdeka is that one time that everybody
0: comes together. You come together as Malaysians. You, you don't have your. Your, your cultural identity where, because it's that whole pride factor, uh, pretty much like, uh, Fourth of July, for example, everybody comes together for that, you know, but other than yeah. that, we still retreat to our traditional cultural ways and things. So, so, but that, that makes it really interesting. And I'm glad that, you know, I I chose to, to live in Malaysia to work because I wanted to work in America. But then, you know what? Everybody speaks English there. (laughs) What fun is that now? (laughs) It makes (laughs) no fun. It makes no challenge. That's a great point. Yeah. I know words in many languages. I can swear in many languages. So that's really (laughs) in Malaysia. So, you know, if you go, you know, my office is like everybody like speaks to each other in, you know, half Chinese, half Malay, half, half English, sometimes Tamil as well. So. It's really fun.
1: <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, you also got your high education in the U.S., right? Yep. Yeah, which is why I thought, like, you know, America
0: would be great because that was where all the great advertising came from and stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I did I did do a three-year stint uh, working in, in design, in a design house. But again, uh, in, in the States, a very small design house. But I'm glad I, I came back and decided, you know, this was a bigger challenge. And it was really interesting. And it's really fun as well you know, everything being so diverse, you kind of learn a lot about things that you wouldn't learn about if you were not in the industry, for example. Yeah. You know? So I feel closer to my friends who are not Malay, for example, that because I can relate to them, you know, you understand the cultural sensitivities and things. So it kind of makes you a, a whole lot different person. So like, say, when I uh, I go to Japan, I'm totally not aware of their, their sensitivities, you know, so it's like, always looking at over my shoulder not sure if I'm doing something right you know it's like people are telling me like oh don't uh, walk down the street and eat at the same time I was like why oh wow. no the Japanese find it very um it's not a good thing you know whereas offensive yeah in Malaysia we're like walking around you know eating our chips and stuff like that me everywhere. Too. everywhere in the world yeah <laughs> so I was wondering why like no one ate in public where they would go to sit down somewhere and, and eat but never be you know like uh, walking around just eating so that was something new for me and I thought wow you know
1: <laughs> totally totally different uh speaking of like sonic culture you mentioned k-pop and its influence on the growing importance of the eastern origin of modern advertising and culture in general is there any space or is there any chance to use traditional asian sonic culture alongside modern asian sonic culture I mean, if it's related to, I don't know, stereotypes and your tendency of using, exploiting or or vice versa, avoiding them, like, is there a chance to dig a bit sideways?
0: Um, now it's like uh, here, as far as we're concerned, you know, uh, Malaysian English is like the pride factor. You know, everybody speaks, you may speak one language, but you will know words in different languages. So that gets embedded into the way we do our creatives, for example. I guess certain behaviors that you find in in the different cultures because we understand that so we can actually fit that into our our ideas. For example, you know, like when you do it for Chinese New Year, for example, everybody's dressed in red because why red is is a prosperous color. Never wear yeah uh, blue. Never give something in blue or something like that. Apparently because that's like a taboo color. I mean, those walls are breaking down. I guess as time goes by, people tend to shed those strict. Guidelines and stuff, but people still adhere by it. If you look at in the States, when they do, you know, like say, for example, a a TV series like, like, no Netflix, uh, Kim's Convenience. It's funny. It's like, oh, never use write with a red pen because that's when you're dead. That's when they write your name in red. So that was really interesting. Okay. Yeah. So here, a lot of the the older generation still abide by that. You get the traditional weddings, for example, or they must be like this, must be like this. But then now you can see, like, my friends had a wedding where it's like, look, we're going to have a friend's friend's wedding uh, just for friends, a reception just for friends. So come in jeans, you know, and that would be like super taboo in a normal scenario per se. Yeah.
1: Does it find any reflection in music, in music strategies, in sonic strategies for the brands?
0: Music, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, as far as we're concerned, some of the jiggles that we've done for, for certain brands we try to use local instrumentation, but in a very modern way. It's a bit like world music style. Oh, I I would say you know. So so it's nice to hear a little bit of the the, the traditional strings, for example, in a in a very modern upbeat, trendy, and for that matter, because it lends a bit yeah. more identity to people. You know, so your consumers will be more inclined to say, "Hey, you know, I I get that because that's part of my culture. That instrument." for example, it's part of my culture that melody is very much part of something I grew up with and things like that. So so that's the the nice thing that we have here that we can play with all those, we call them assets. Because,
1: like if you've got an available asset like that, which was pretty popular in a way to become a tradition actually, why not just like to use it actually? That makes really a lot of sense to me, but I got a really bad question I cannot help asking it. Do you feel like Whether it's an inquiry or it's just a a creative will, for example, of yours, could it be an inquiry from the audience? Like, you know, we sometimes choose creative decisions for advertising or for marketing campaigns, according to the inquiry from, from us, from listeners slash viewers. Could it be an inquiry or it's just a way, I don't know, to reflect your imaginative initiative? I think it's more the latter. Because, uh, you know, it's a conscious decision to be a
0: little bit creative, to see how far we can push the boundaries for that matter. That makes it kind of interesting as well. You know, the audience doesn't expect it and we, and we put it in. So, for example, like with, um, just to quote again, the, the late Yasmin Ahmad, you know, she would really find interesting ways to feature Malaysians. And you really look at them and you're like, wow, that's like that kid I grew up with. Like one of her commercials, you know, one really big internationally and stuff. And what it was, was she just went down to a school and she just picked, found two kids and she just started interviewing them. And from that interview, she she turned it into an award-winning commercial. And until today, you know, 20 years later, it's still being talked about. That's the magic of it. So sometimes it is using creativity to tongue at the audience's heart, I would guess, in that sense. You know, the safest route would be going down the traditional, normal route. It's like, yeah, it'll appeal to everybody. But... What's going to stand out is how far you can push those boundaries and gain, you know, acceptance for it.
2: Yeah, Nina, maybe you could share with us the link to this ad because uh, I'm really curious to see sure. yeah. that. Yeah.
1: yeah, so am I. And I think it would be even good to share it in the description for these yeah. episode. Yeah, definitely. F- yeah, this our, this uh, yeah, ad with our was listeners. shot,
0: I don't know, I would say about, what, 15 years ago. And it's funny because a, a year ago, they actually went and found the two kids and said, look, they're all grown up now. There's the two kids together. Oh they're there. Wow. Yeah. You know, because actually what happened was this little boy kind of fancied this girl and he's Chinese. She's Malay. And then so he goes, Oh, do you like somebody? Yeah, I like her. And he was very cute and and, <laughs> and snickering about it. He was a little eight year old kid. And then and then so she goes to this little girl and she goes, Who's your best friend? Oh, my best friend is this guy. Do you like him? And she goes, hey, yeah, actually I kinda do You know? So oh. so yeah, the the kids didn't end up together in the end. I mean Hey, you know, first love. <laughs> but um, they, they did bring them together and says, look, they're all grown up now. You know, this, this is this little boy, this is a little girl. And, you know, and they're still friends. So, yeah, I'll send the link to you guys. Thank you. So, you yeah. know, until
1: today, that really resonates very strongly. Thanks. 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 That's going to be great. I got a really terrible association with that. Like, really, I I can relate to a terrible association. I don't know if I should say it out loud, like... No,
2: maybe you (laughs) not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll keep it inside. Okay, no one's gonna know.
2: Okay, I have a question. Uh, Yeah, maybe uh, we should talk about the globalization stuff uh, more precisely, because I know it could be hard to transfer some vision from the from, like, global campaigns to the local market? And what do you think, how hard could it be? Or maybe what was your, like, most difficult cases with that?
0: Actually, no, uh, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I think due to budget constraints, a lot of brands create the work abroad. But then now with the whole sensitivity thing, like, you know, like a lot of American commercials, they will, will use an Asian talent. And then when it comes to, to, to Malaysia and we have to adapt it, you know, it's kind of accepted anyway. So, so there's really no no issues about that. If you're looking like a, you know, like like some, oh, I can't remember which commercials they are, but just, you know, international brands mostly like uh, makeup brands and things like that. So they use international mm-hmm. talents, and no one has any issues with that because you know it's kind of like yeah, okay, it's just, you know it's accepted because we, it, it's like. Thanks to uh, social media and everything, you know, we're really open to, to what the rest of the world, how they go about with their lives and things like that. So there's not, not much an issue. The only thing would be, you know, rewriting the script in three other languages as well,
1: you know, and making sure there's no dogs in the, in the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm starting to find some sort of beautiful similarity between your case and the case of Southwest Africa like when we had a talk with Rosan from uh, Ogilvy in Namibia. It's about willingness to share culture and willingness to share the cultural experience and behavioral models with the rest of the world. And it sounds fantastic and it looks fantastic. It looks like one of the most honest acts of generosity, of collective generosity, which uh, like I've ever seen. And it looks so bright. It looks so shining. It looks fantastic. And it looks... Really authentic, it's extremely fascinating to be like the observer of it in real time.
0: Yeah, because technically I think it's all awareness and how you know people are becoming more and more aware. People are learning more about other cultures and things, so so things are done to make sure that they match what people are looking for or how Absolutely. the brand the brand's image, you know. So by using a, a Western model, yes of course. Um, she can be blonde and, and non Malaysian, but, but at the end of the day, it's like, it still has that slightly, you know, because it's an international brand. Yeah. We're okay with the blonde model. It's understandable because yes, the product is from the UK. It's from America, things like that. So that's pretty much accepted. But then like, you know, I think where how we, it works a little bit harder here is like, for example, um, it doesn't become as generic when we work on it ourselves. It doesn't become generic because we dig deeper. Say, for example, one thing that unites all the Malaysians together is food. You know, everybody oh, loves the yeah. same kind of food. It
2: even unites us. Exactly. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> you, you know, if you, if you put a, a hot dog, a hamburger or a hot dog in front of us, we'll be like, yeah, okay, whatever. But if it's McDonald's, it's fine, you know. But here it's yeah. like the best way to get to Malaysians is just food. That's it. So when we get to work on that, that's why we prefer to work on it ourselves rather than just adapt. It helps a lot with getting uh you know a little bit more in touch with the audience as well but sometimes i agree say for example if you if you put a brand like say armani you know you would want to see possibly a western model but then now with more asian models in the picture it looks kind of glamorous as well uh, ralph lauren is one brand that if you look at all the global stuff there's always an asian family or an asian couple or an asian model in the new collection there's always a black family for example, so then it really looks, you know, very international for that matter. And but it's not actually obligatory,
2: right? No, it's, no, it's, it's just not. A, but
0: I think know, it's just everybody's yeah. now into this whole woke culture. The whole, di- you know, we want to be diverse, we want to accept and things like that. That's what makes it really interesting to see that, you know, the world is opening up, the boundaries are slowly, slowly going down. So that makes it really interesting as well. So, like, Malaysians, for example, uh, we have. When we traveled, every every year there's like a uh, a new hot destination that everywhere, you know, suddenly you go there's like 20 million Malaysians. Oh my God, you know? Um, <laughs> you know? So it's like, oh God, did I just leave my country to see my country? You know, so one time it was Taiwan. Everybody's going to Taiwan. And then Japan, everybody's going to Japan. What's
1: this year's destination? Um, what I think is it?
0: Korea is still very in. Turkey is making a comeback. Yay! Uh, <laughs> and the UK, especially London, will always be forever
2: Malaysian. Dangerous, <laughs> yeah, L- L- yeah. London's the, like the L-
0: topic. Yeah, Malaysian second home. If you go to London now, there's so many Malaysian things there. You're like, wait, <laughs> go go down the basewater, and you feel like you're back in KL again. I'm like, oh God, I didn't come here for this. <laughs> uh, actually, actually,
1: actually, I would barely think about it. Actually. Yeah, yeah really, like, you know, I, I, I never guess. think
0: about these things. But then when I do go to London, I'm like, why am I here? you know, in in a whole group of Malaysians where all the <laughs> Malaysians are hanging out, you know? So it's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so now it's like, I don't know what the new thing would be, but I guess it, Iceland was it for a while, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really interesting to see which way everybody is heading towards. <laughs> uh,
1: getting back to our sonic issues. Initially, I wanted to phrase the question like that. How would you personally value the role of sound in advertising. Listening to your talk and decided to paraphrase the question, what would you actually need sound for in advertising? Like, why wouldn't you use advertising without sound?
0: Okay, let's put it this way. There's also people who watch ads on mute, okay? So that's one. But, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. People uh, could watch it on mute. But for us, sound is, is a really important uh action it's not just throwing a piece of music in making sure it syncs with the the edits and stuff like that recently we did uh, a campaign for milo cans and we had the music composed and the director felt that we needed some bits of percussion in it to give it that very cans kind of feel so it had little clinky sounds in it so it looked like it, it sounded like it was a a percussion music using cans for example playing
1: in aluminum cans I see it, mm. it was just part it. of the whole the whole
0: melody but but that was important because it really gave i guess an identity to the product we were talking to teenagers you know and and teenagers would well, they want to be different or they don't feel like they belong to a certain sporting group oh I don't play basketball so I don't need a a, a Milo but then it's like so what we're telling you is like look you don't need a field you don't need a court to find mm. your sport so so we shot yeah. this amazing commercial in in uh, uh where the, the the BMX biker is actually riding indoors for example uh, a rollerblader doing his jumps indoors football freestyler doing his stunts in the most unusual places and the effects and everything really played a really big role in that but more in like dramas, movies and stuff, sound is important because it does add, I guess, the dial up the drama or dial up that, that mood or that moment in that sense. Recently, I read something about how they played a piece, a section from the movie The Shining, and they played a very funny piece of music to that scene. And when you look at it, it looked like it was a comedy. But in, and then when they played the real music, people were like, whoa, it's a horror movie. Whoa, you know? So, so. I think it's, it's sound is also underrated. Quite a different perception. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so underrated. I really feel that, you know, so, I mean, I do, I do a lot of, uh, recordings, voiceover recordings for the commercials and it's really important for a medium like radio. For example, it's even more important because, you know, it's, it's not just the cold voice. It's the right track. It's the right effects. It's the right bits and bobs that you use to make the ad come alive. So, yeah, you know, sound plays a really big role, but I think a lot of people don't understand how much you can do with it, and there's a lot of magic in it.
2: Yeah, and how do you personally feel this thing, this much culture in Malaysia, this much different cultures? Do you differently walk the sound in terms of local campaigns? Or do you just do, like, different voiceovers, but the music and the sound stays the same? The music most normally stays the same but the
0: voiceovers will be different expressions that they use and things like that because you know it has to be different languages that's one in English for example it'd be like oh wow and in Chinese it'd be like hua for example you know so (laughs) if you say wow is understandable in Chinese but it doesn't impact it as much when you say hua yeah (laughs) there's there's details right so when I do all the recordings I have to make sure like could you make the hua a little bit You know higher up so that it's really a (laughs) wow and a wow (laughs) so yeah you have to pick up on those little bits and bobs as well so sound you know it's like yeah I, i i you know i i really stick by my guns when it comes to these little things because they make a really big difference for that matter
1: the story of about aluminium cans reminded me of our opening sample of our podcast we were thinking of what sound to choose to start an intro of our podcast. And accidentally, I ran into a sound of opening an aluminium can as an embodiment of the uh, commercial essence of what we were talking about. Because actually... Like- that was a can. <laughs> yes, it's an aluminium can. Yes. I didn't know yes. that. It's a sample of opening up oh, a can. Oh, you
2: didn't mention that.
1: <laughs> that was a really tough choice. Wow. But I was looking for a <laughs> thing that actually would instantly uh, transfer you into like the feeling of of you uh, spectating something a little bit larger than life, a little bit f- more than real, something maybe a bit consumer grade, but it has so much inside it. It's interesting to listen to your story behind it, behind using such uh, sources, pretty simple source, but it actually instantly builds an association, an almost tactical, feeling yeah I mean you can have
0: a lot of fun with it Uh, I did a radio ad some years ago where it was a contest you know buy the product you could win a gold nugget you know when you watch any tv any films and stuff where you see whenever the gold appears it's always that shwing sound to it yeah so so that's what I did in, in this whole commercial was that when the the voiceover would say like Buy a product now, you could win gold. Swing. <laughs> and it only takes ten ringgit. When, you know, and ten ringgit could help you win gold. Swing. You know, so it was so fun doing that. And the talent I used was a comedian. So she really pulled it off really well and stuff. And it really made a difference rather than just say, and you could win gold. And then, you know, as opposed to people going, ooh, in the background. But I thought that little swing would make a better choice it stands out a little bit more
2: because it's having like a humor dimension to it yeah yeah you know and a little bit of comedy a little bit of a
0: I guess a a cartoonish effect like you know it's very Disney Yeah. yeah yeah so that kind of made it a little bit different so it's really interesting I would love to know more about using the magic of sound but then sometimes you know you have clients who are quite restrictive with what they want. It's like, no, 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 let's not get too clever with this, things like that. So you're like, yeah, okay, just
1: take the money and run. (laughs) I don't know. Forgive me for me being a bit cynical, but it might be a bit corny, like adding it so straightforward. But I think that's a subjective moment anyway. In most cases, we're just trying to do something a bit more subliminal, like not just adding a piece of sound that instantly would associate you with gold.
2: But sometimes it works. You should absolutely. But guys, yeah, 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 I'm not.
1: I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) You know,
2: ASMR
0: is so in now. You know, you can see like the silliest things can actually get a lot of attention. I mean you guys see the, the Rolls Royce ASMR. That was hilarious. Because uh it was uh this very hot chick yeah I think I've seen that. Yeah. There was such a huge piss take over here where people were like, oh look the Rolls Royce ASMR. So you know like Malaysia we have the little the little tiny Malaysian made cars. So everybody's like, oh look this is my little kanchil and and this is the my kanchil ASMR. Oh this is my <laughs> um you know beat up station wagon ASMR. So it it just blew up here. It became so funny. It's like, oh, not just a Rolls Royce can have an ASMR. You know, my little shitty piece of, you know, 30-year-old car even has ASMR. It's like, it it just totally blew up here. (laughs) This is quite fun. Yeah. You know, I I never really understood the popularity of it. I mean, there's people who actually sit around and listen to people eating chips, you know? So there has to be some value in that. You know, I think you
2: guys are in the right business. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should we should do ASMR instead of all of this. Right? We should consider that. No? no, 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 no! Don't quit your day job.
0: You guys, you guys do great work.
1: <laughs> guys, for everyone who's listening to us right now, just simply dial one eight hundred ASMR to order your pack of catchy jingles for your brands <laughs> and for your marketing campaigns. Call now, guys. So
2: Nina, that's an amazing conversation, but we're going towards the end of it. And the last question we have for you is, what's your latest inspiration? It could be like anything, not just art, but maybe some live things of shows.
0: Oh God, everything inspires me <laughs> to do something good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't have a, a latest inspiration thing, but... You know, I've always been inspired by certain things. For example, like I love photography and my favorite photographer is Annie Leibovitz because she tells the best stories. And I missed an opportunity to see her when she came to Singapore. You know, I was so gutted um she was actually in Singapore. And my friend didn't know that I was such a fan. So, you know, I was like, oh, man, you know, that was my, my dream. But then, okay, never mind. You know, I've met Serena Williams. So that was my my big thing already. So the wow. <laughs> same friend, the same friend. That <laughs> unexpected. Yeah. The the same friend got me into the same room with Serena Williams and all the tennis greats because, you know, I'm a big tennis fan. You do tennis? Yeah, I, I play, I play, I play uh, every weekend. Yeah. So I've been playing tennis forever now. So, so you know, and and to meet Serena Williams, huah, you know, that was the wham moment for me. Yeah. But when it comes to stuff like this, it's like Annie Leibovitz is what drives me, you know, it's the way a story can be told in just a still shot. That's what's amazing.
2: I'm totally on one page with you right now. She's really ex- extraordinary artist, yeah. Yep. So I guess... That was it. Thank you so much, Nina, for coming to us. It was a great pleasure to meet you, and I'm really
1: happy to have this opportunity. Oh, thank you. That was so much fun. Very much fun. <laughs> I think that's the 100% fun we actually expected, to see from this talk. As always. We are yeah. kind mutual. Thank you. Thank you. Nina, much appreciated to have you on board. We've been waiting for so long. Thank you so much. Guys, even like this, tune in next time. See you.